1: wherever you get your podcasts. I
0: really, really loved this book. How did you feel about this book, Anne? Uh, I never got to the part where I understood what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 245. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, What Should I Read Next?, We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, summer isn't over yet. In fact, here in Louisville, the heat has really kicked in, but school is starting soon and Labor Day is just a month away, which at least mentally signifies the end of summer. As we look forward to fall, we also get to look forward to another live event with our Patreon community. On September 1st, we'll be hosting our fall book preview. This event will be similar to the Summer Reading Guide unboxing event we did in May, but instead of sharing all the titles I have read and loved, I'm sharing the books that publishers, booksellers, and other book people, and sometimes, yeah, that means me, are excited about for the fall season. And it's going to be a good one. To join us for our fall book preview on September 1st, join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. Our members get to set up a private podcast feed with What Should I Read Next bonus episodes we create just for them. They get to catch the replay of our live video events like the Summer Reading Guide Unboxing, and they get to grab fun and practical printables like our July highlight reel we just posted. That pretty PDF we give them gives our members a visual recap of the month's episodes books we want to highlight plus some of our team's favorite moments and insider opinions to get in on the action visit patreon.com/what should i read next that's patreon p a t r e o n patreon.com/what should i read next readers this week i'm talking to kendra adachi if you remember that name it may be from her previous what should i read next episode number 27 books good enough to make you turn off the tv even if you love TV. But that was more than four whole years ago. In those four years, Kentra's reading life has changed a ton, in no small part because of her first visit to What Should I Read Next? That first visit did wonders for her reading life and gave her new insight into what kinds of books she loves and why. And you're going to hear all about that today. You're also going to hear about how lately her reading life has felt like a roller coaster. And, of course, we're going to talk about why that is and what she can do about it. Kendra loves fantasy and sci-fi. That love shines in this episode as she talks about her favorites and also when she refers to me as her book Yoda. We talk about winnowing your reading list, being a lazy genius about your reading life, and how Kendra picks her books. And, of course, I get to recommend three titles I hope give her some readerly momentum and pull her out of this horrid reading rut she's been in readers. It's a fun one today. I think I say that every week, but it really is. Let's get to it. Kendra, welcome to the show. Thank you,
1: Anne. I'm so happy to be here. Like, so, so happy. You can't see my face.
0: Actually, I should have said, welcome back to the show, because you are now joining the small, small... Can you have a small pantheon? Does it work like that? I like that word. I'm going to avoid Greek words I haven't used since high school. That may be, (laughs) what should I read next, rule to live by. But we only have had a handful of guests who've been on twice, and when they do come back, it needs to be for very good reason. So... Welcome to the club.
1: I feel very honored. Thank you.
0: My husband, Will, has been on more than once. Jamie Golden's been on more than once. Tracy Thomas, Holland Saltzman, Oshita Moore. I'm sure I'm leaving somebody or a few somebody's out. I think Lee Kramer's been on more than once. I'm excited to talk to you again. And it has been a really long time. Such a long
1: time. I was shocked at how long, because it feels like it was maybe a year or two ago.
0: Well, I can't believe that this podcast is now going. We could round up and be five years old. That is coming in January 2021, which will be here before we know it, which would be great, actually, because then 2020 would be over. (laughs) Fingers crossed for a better new year. But okay, thanks to the Magic of Google Calendar, I know that we talked for the first time on Wednesday, June 8th at 11 o'clock in the morning. And
1: I think that was in the year 2016. Is that right? Yes. My daughter was like eight weeks old or something when we talked to each other the first time.
0: So basically, what should I read next was a, a Tiny Babe in Arms, and now what, we're getting ready to go to kindergarten? Is that a good an- analogy with a book podcast? I don't know that it is. I don't.
1: I feel like you're like very much, way more academic than kindergarten at this point. <laughs>
0: <then>. <laughs> but hopefully just as fun with snack breaks. Well, back in 2016, you loved The Night Circus, Till We Have Faces in the Glass Castle. Yes. You hated, and I think you did say hated, A Clockwork Orange, completely not for you. Yes,
1: I did say hate.
0: Well, Kendra- We always try to give our listeners a picture of what our guest's reading life is like. But I think the place to start with you is back in 2016, because you've told me that your reading life has changed a lot, no surprise, but it's changed a lot in the intervening four plus years. And in part, it changed because of your experience on the show, which was so, uh, wow, that's a dangerous power to have. But it was also really um, an honor to hear that. So thank you that's quite a power you have to change my entire (laughs) reading life. No, it really was true though. Well, that's a joy, but also it's a big responsibility to feel like you can have an impact on a part of someone's life that is so important and so personal because we really feel that like, sure, reading is fun entertainment, but it also guides people to think about the things that really matter in life. And we do take it really seriously. I mean, we hope we don't take it too seriously, but we're definitely aware that this is big stuff we're talking about week in and week out.
1: Well, I like to just see you as like my my book Yoda. You know, <laughs> you just sort of like guided me through this thing, but really you were just helping me discover what was already there. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how I see it. But yeah, after I was on the show for the first time, I had just started reading. I was an English major in college and had just burned out on reading, got really into television had little kids and then when my my daughter was born and she was born like 8 weeks before we talked that time i had just become this voracious reader for i don't even remember what the beginning of that was what the origin story of that was but i think what happened is i was so overwhelmed as many of us are by all the book choices it was just it was too much it was too much to choose from I didn't know what I liked, but I also didn't know that what I liked existed in books and not just in movies and TV. So in that conversation, you like found this through line in my books where you were like, they're all very cinematic. They're all very atmospheric. And I was like, oh my gosh, they are. They totally are. And so it just sort of gave me permission to start looking for books that felt like that, to not really feel apologetic about not liking certain things or not being drawn to certain types of writing or certain types of stories. Not that I'm closed off to those, like I'm very open, but you have helped me just be more realistic of like, okay, this is what I like. This is what I usually don't like. I can take some risks here and there, but it's just helped me narrow my focus in such a great way that now I know if a book is going to work or not, like for the most part.
0: Yeah. What we like to say is there are plenty of reasons to read books that you don't like. I mean, first of all, we all went to school. So we, I imagine, have experience in that because that's what happens sometimes when you don't get to choose your books. But also, you don't have to like a book for it to have an impact on your like. And so much of discovering what you do like isn't clear until you read a book that doesn't work for you and you can go, oh, now I can see in contrast what the difference is.
1: Exactly. And I think one of the things that I, I realized is that I have a certain capacity For reading books that are there for more than entertainment, that are there to teach me something, that are, you Mm -hmm. know, like more of a harder read for whatever reason. And that can happen fiction, nonfiction, it doesn't matter. But I think that like I can only read one book like that at a time. I have like a kind of a rhythm of two nonfiction at a time and then one fiction. So I'm I usually have three books going at once. I can't have all three of those books be heavy. I can't do it because I stop reading altogether. I need something fun. I need something like frothy and exciting and plot-driven or I stop reading completely. It's like I have one I have one reading speed, but all that I'm reading at once contributes to that speed. And so I have to have this like right mix, which I felt bad about before. Like I should be able to read things that stretch me more and all of that. And I can, and that's great, but I also that lands better for me if I'm also reading something that is not stretching me, that it is about some sort of like some story that happens in space with some girl that's in a lower class and she falls in love with the dude in the patriarchy. And, you know, like those kinds of books almost keep me going back to the harder books more. (laughs) So I need
0: them both. That was a brilliant two sentence description.
1: I can see it clearly. (laughs) Exactly. So that was just very freeing for me because I felt guilty about that for a long
0: time and now I don't so if that was Kendra the reader circa 2016 (laughs) is it weird to talk about Kendra the reader like she's someone else what is Kendra the reader like in mid 2020
1: Kendra the reader in mid 2020 is a little directionless sometimes I know what pieces I need to get my reading momentum I am a momentum reader What is that thing, the the supply and demand reader? I feel like you actually talked to me about this in our first episode and I had never heard before. What is that
0: again? Did I? Yes. Then that would go further back than I thought. Well, that's from my friend, Laura Vanderkam, who has also been a guest on this podcast. And she has this theory that there are supply readers and demand readers. Kendra, I'm a liberal arts major, so I really hope I'm not mixing up my supply and demand here. math
1: is economics. (laughs) Like, don't even try. That's why I asked you to describe it and not
0: try to say it myself because I knew I would get them mixed up. Well, you know, I could be vague and say there's one kind and there's the other kind, but readers, I'm going out on a limb and supply side readers are those who will read if there is a good book available. If they're in the middle of a good book or if they have a book they're excited to read, they will read it. And you'll look at them sitting on the couch reading their book and think, oh my gosh, they must love to read. And it's true, they do, but only when there's a good book available. And then there's the man-side readers who have this inner drive to read books. That demand is internal. I'm just going <laughs> to dig in and hope I'm getting it right. <laughs> These are the people, hand-raised high, who will read the cereal box and magazines they care nothing about if there is no other reading material in front of them. They'll have a better reading life if the books they're surrounded with Are great because they're gonna read no matter what. But the supply side people, they're not gonna read unless they have a nice supply of books that look good to them available.
1: Got it. I am definitely a supply side reader. Based on that description, I am a supply side reader. And what's funny is I feel like I have the love of reading that a demand side reader has. I really love reading. And I'm kind of sad when I'm not enjoying my reading life. When Kendra the Reader is bummed. Kendra the human is like, what's going on? Why is this happening? We love to read. Like it's it kind of confuses me, but I do need this like particular formula of what makes my reading life work for me. I don't know if it's always gonna be that way. I don't know if it's this stage of life. I'm in a really, really busy season of life. I have three kids all under the age of 10. It, it's We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's like, there are a lot of things happening. And so I'm sort of trying to be, gentle with myself that like, it might not always be this way. And that's okay that I feel sort of this desperation to get the formula right. But really, it's because I love to read, I want to keep reading, but I find myself
0: getting stuck more often than I would like. So today, we're hopefully going to find the right mix for your reading life. So you don't lose your sense of direction again and lose the momentum that you've worked so hard to build. How often do you feel like you um, get stuck? I would
1: say every two or three months. It's very roller coastery. I have this like crest, you know, of like this yeah. is amazing, and I'm reading. So, I just keep hitting book after book, winner after winner, and then my combination just kind of like gets a little, eh, and I just sort of get in a rut. And so it it just feels like it's very up and down every yeah,
0: probably every two or three months. Well, first of all, I don't think that's abnormal, even for people who love to read. And I hope that's reassuring. It would be okay if being cognizant of keeping the mix right was a state of being for you. That's fine. And you know, I think some people who are really satisfied with the mix in their reading life, it's not like it necessarily comes easy. They're working at it. But those habits have become so natural to them that they don't even realize that they're very carefully curating what they're going to read. yeah, And also when you go out on a limb and you read books that you know are a stress for you, or you know, aren't going to be fun reading experiences, but it's important for you to read these books because that is certainly the case. Sometimes I'm keeping in mind all the wonderful, like anti-racist reading lists that we're seeing right now in books written um, out of other cultures. It can be harder to maintain momentum, but knowing that that's normal, I think helps people keep going. Does any of that resonate with you?
1: Yes, it definitely does. And, you know, I think what's interesting is I wrote a book that comes out uh, in August, August 11th. It's called The Lazy Genius Way. And one of the things that I talk about in that book, the foundation of life really is to name what matters to you. Like if we don't know what matters to us about life or about specific parts of our lives, then it's really hard to know what to do next. And so I think what frustrates me is that I know what matters to me about reading. It is stretching my mind. It is also to be entertained. It is that I want to reach for that First, before watching something on TV or being on my phone, not because reading is better than those things, it's because I enjoy reading, for the most part, more than those things on any given day. And so I think what I'm missing is these last four years from 2016, Kendra, to Kendra the Reader in 2020, I have started to name what matters about what I want my books to look like, what I like to read and the combination of them, but I'm still sort of building that system and those habits that you just talked about to kind of keep it going, to support, to support that foundation of what matters. So I'm getting there. It just feels slower. Mm-hmm. I like for things to like be done. I like to have it figured out <laughs> as fast as
0: possible. And it's not happening. Oh, uh, okay. Speaking of figuring things out, I want to talk more about the lazy genius. And I want to do it through the lens of what should I read next episode 236. This is when I talked to Carla about what she shouldn't read next because Carla had all these books and they weren't bringing her joy. They were weighing her down. If you listen to the episode, you'll remember that Carla went through her physical bookshelves and she put a yellow dot on all the books that she owned but hadn't read yet. She thought it would be motivating and instead it felt like a really judgy sea of yellow staring back at her from her shelves. And a lot of those books she just didn't want to read or at least that's what we realized by the time we got to the end of the episode and Kendra you said well that's just the most brilliant application of the lazy genius method I could have thought of and I was like whoa never thought of it that way so through the lens of Carla's unread books would you tell us what makes that a great example of being a lazy genius
1: I was so obsessed with that episode, Anne. Like (laughs) I when I I was I remember like usually like we do when we're listening to podcasts, we're doing other things. I think I had to stop doing whatever I was doing. I remember being in my kitchen and I just had to stand still because I was so jazzed. Like I had so much adrenaline going through my body. I was like, get it, Carla! Like I was so <laughs> happy. And the reason is because we often think that what is going to make us happy, fulfilled, joyful, at peace, whatever word you want to put in there, we think that things are that are going to make us live life well are things we add, that we need to add more of this or add more of that. And I have just learned and practiced and observed that we really just need to take so many more things away because not only are we removing like physical things from our lives, but we're removing the mental clutter of of our lives. And so that example of Carla, like seeing that judgy sea of yellow dots and also naming like oh, wow, like a lot of these things don't really matter to me anymore. And you were such a beautiful, kind Yoda in that whole experience (sighs) of being like, I see a stack of these because you had access to her Goodreads list. And like, you saw this like pattern of this wave of this kind of book came into her life around this time of her life. And then this section, this kind of book came in and you were able to just sort of like group things. You sort of batched it where you were like, all right, we're gonna take this big old batch of this type of book you don't need this whole batch anymore. You could maybe pull out one or two that could be representatives of it, but maybe you don't really need this. Does this even matter anymore to you? And it was just this beautiful practice of removing what doesn't matter so that you could see what's essential for your life and you can put your energy and time and focus into what does matter. You can be a genius about what does matter. That's my whole thing is to be a genius about the things that matter, like be good at what you love, care about what you love. If it matters to you, put time into it. We don't have to hack everything. But be lazy about the things that don't matter. If it doesn't matter, it's like, we can get rid of these books. It's cool. Like it doesn't have to be this heavy thing on our shoulders. And so I was, I was like praise handsing all over my kitchen <laughs> during that
0: episode. It was just such a delight. Well, I really enjoyed hearing the episode, you know, that I recorded with Carla. Like we, we made that. But to see that conversation through a different lens after you put those specific words to it, which really goes back to what we were saying about your reading life. Like when you can articulate something specific about it, it existed before, nothing changed except the the way you thought about it. Exactly. Putting words to our reading experience really does help us see things differently. We're readers, we know the power of words.
1: And that's why your podcast is such a gift. The more I listen, and I listen to every single episode, the more I listen, the more I have language For what matters to me in reading and what doesn't. You know, someone else is saying something that matters to them. And it's like, I'm so glad they have that. I'm so glad they named that. That does not matter to me. What a gift that that's been, that I can name that now. And I don't have to waste my time trying to figure everything out from, you know, the giant library of the world. I can limit my choices. And yeah, it's just, I love your show, Anne. It's so great. Well, you
0: are so kind. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to all the episodes. That's really a compliment. Okay, Kendra, I'm really excited to dig in your books because I was actually just reading a book last night that I think will be perfect for you and I really want to get your take on it as soon as possible. But I mean, you know how this works. Are you ready to do this? I'm so ready to do this. Okay, Kendra, you are going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't and what you're reading now. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. First of all, I'd love to hear how did you choose your books this time around?
1: That's a great question. I tried to choose favorite books that were obviously a good representation of these things that I have named about books that I like that matter, but they were all things that I've read in the last year or two. So they're all very recent reads, which is maybe a testament to the fact that like, yeah, it's nice to have good reading years, I suppose. But like the more that I've named these things, the more that I I read books that I do like. So yeah, these are all recent recent favorites that I really couldn't stop talking about basically. so. Book one. Book one. Book one is... You do know how this works. I do. Book one is The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern.
0: Tell me all about it.
1: Okay. So I loved her book, The Night Circus. That was one of my favorite books that I mentioned in our episode we did before. So I didn't like The Starless Sea as much as The Night Circus, but I really, really loved this book. It is hard to explain her stories, like all of them. I think she just creates these worlds that are really, really difficult to explain, But it's essentially about a man named Zachary Ezra Rollins. And you know that that that's his name because I think pretty much every single chapter involving him starts with Zachary Ezra Rollins. He discovers a book that is unlike any book he's ever read, which is saying something because he's a, a huge reader and he has been his entire life. Well, he's reading this book that's full of short stories. And then he reads a story that is actually a memory he had of when he was a kid. So he's basically reading his own memory in print in this book. Some of the chapters in the book are actually like the stories in this book that he is reading, but The Starless Sea is primarily about Zachary trying to find out why this is happening. Why is his story in a book? There is this like underground secret world of storytellers it's a super weird book. Like it's really weird, but it's very cool. It's, it's super interesting to me. I mean, at one point there is a character who is on a boat in a sea of honey in some deep cavern underground. So, I mean, it's very bizarre. I love this book because I love to be surprised by a world. I love it when I can say like, how did that author come up with this? And, you know, I learned from you that I love things that are thick with atmosphere and they're cinematic and you can see them. Well, the Starless Sea is like so vibrant and wild and colors and it's so full of imagery and the story really moves. I didn't know what was happening until like two-thirds of the way through. I'm like, why what are what are we even doing here? But the ride was so good that I was here for it. And I trust Aaron Morgenstern because She wrote one of my favorite books ever. So I really, really loved
0: this book. How did you feel about this book, Anne? I never got to the part where I understood what was happening (laughs) because I didn't make it to the two thirds point. I tried it in print, I tried it in audio. I, you know, it might have been the wrong book at the wrong time. Here's my most meaningful experience with this book when I was in New York City to record my audiobook. I happened to discover that our past guest, Karen Form, who I love talking to, worked uh, like three blocks from my hotel. So we met up for drinks, and we tried to go to this hotel bar that was really crowded with all these private parties. So we ended up going to a Japanese place down the street. However, in our brief period of time inside the bar, I took a nice look around. I thought, oh, this is interesting. I've never been in a place like this. And as we were leaving, Karen said, oh, you know, this is the bar that that initial meeting is set in in the Starless Sea, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, <gasps> really? That is so cool! That like, oh, this is where she set the scene. Yeah, that's my most meaningful experience with the Starless <laughs> Sea, which <laughs> probably tells you everything you need to know."
1: Can I tell you something? I don't even know if I know how it ends, and I finished the book. Like, that's how bonkers it is. Like, I know how it ends, but I'm still like, "What was happening? What was happening?" So, I I think that like maybe what I've learned from that book, I don't know, is that. As long as the ride is good, as long as there's someone to care about, even if I don't fully understand what is happening, I just like a good ride. It could be too. And I read it at the right time. I was so excited for it. It had been sitting on my shelf. A friend had actually sent it to me. It's just like a gift. Like the hardback arrived at my house and I was like, where did this come from? I was number 71 on the library wait list. Like, why is this at my house? And it made me so happy. So there were lots of things going for it. But I just, man, I just really, really dug this
0: book. Well, and let me say, I really admire Erin Morgenstern, and it's important to say here, especially as we are recording in the midst of a global pandemic where we it's very obvious that so many of us are not in the usual frame of mind that we are, and many books that we would otherwise enjoy are just not right for us right now, for, for all kinds of reasons. Um, I love the way she writes. I thought the prose was really beautiful, um, and she's so talented, and I imagine... I mean, I remember reading this when it was hot outside. This feels more like a fall book for me and my own reading rhythms. And I imagine that my patience would be rewarded if I did try again, probably with the hardcover, probably on my couch in cooler weather with a cup of tea and a blanket. Like I imagine that it would work for me.
1: I totally will affirm that choice. Um, Because even, (laughs) I mean, a lot of the story, I mean, the beginning of the story, it's snowing. There are scarves and, and the scarves are actually like important imagery, but like- it does not feel like something you would want to read when it's hot outside. So mm-hmm. maybe you can try again this winter. See if it lands differently. It's okay if it doesn't. But yeah, it's a good it's a good winter read for sure.
0: Okay, book two. What did you pick?
1: Book two is very different. Uh, from, <laughs> I love that from *The Starless Sea*, and it's actually a book that, like, on paper, I should not like. And it is *Jaber Crow* by Wendell
0: Berry. Yeah, because when I think cinematic, you know what I do not think? No, <laughs> Wendell Berry who i love. Right, it's so but, wild. but that is not the obvious descriptor. No, it's not. So like,
1: I have tried, I have tried to describe this book to people. I read it this year. I read it actually when the pandemic started. And I tell you what, like if we are still, which we're going to be, still stuck at home for a really long time, this is one of the most perfect books to read during this time, honestly. So I do think there is a huge factor of the right book at the right time for me. Because I read it right when we started being stuck at home. I think I started it in May or whatever. Anyway, I have tried to describe this book to so many people and have monstrously failed every single time because they're like, Kendra, you're not selling me on this. I don't know what you're talking about. So I'm afraid I'm gonna do that now. But Jaber Crow is about a man named Jaber Crow and he's a barber in a little town and it's about his life. And that's pretty much what it is. It is the most beautiful book I've ever read.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got all kinds of problems with his description. A whole bunch of people just yawned real big. I know. And I don't know. It's about his life. It's about his life. In a small town. And it's beautiful. I know, Anne. But honestly. Well, many people
1: take that as code for boring. I agree. And I would too. And I think the reason that I picked it up is because I love Wendell Berry's poetry And I think that I was just craving something that felt more simple, maybe. I don't know. And it's been on my list. I mean, I think it's been on my TBR like, okay, I'm going to read it this season. I'm going to read it this season for two or three years. I mean, I've just, I just keep putting it off. And I thought, this is, I'm not going to put it off anymore. Let's start reading. And I'm so glad I did because it's one of my favorite books I've ever read. It's, I think, the most, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's like, possibly the most perfect book I've ever read from beginning to end. And it has nothing that is usually in books that I like. There's really not much of a plot. I mean, it's just the guy's life, you know? The characters are full. Okay, so my order of like what matters to me in a book goes plot, like way high. Plot is above everything else, but a sense of place. Character, writing, And then form, you know, because some people really love to read books that are like presented in a different form in a different way. That's
0: me. Me, me, me.
1: That's like my least important thing. (laughs) So because of that order, I mean, Jaber Crow, it does not have a plot. It does have a sense of place because it happens in this little town. But it's like it's a little town. There's no spaceships. There are no monsters. There are no dark fairy tales. It's just this little ordinary town. And then there are very rich characters, but the writing is so transcendent and it was so uh, transportive. And I'm just reading like page after page of him sitting like in this little cabin in the woods watching birds. And I was crying because I was like, this is the most beautiful thing. And yet, like I read, uh, I mentioned this in the last episode. I remember mentioning um, Atonement, where I was like, I'm so bored. This is so boring. Why are you still describing things But for some reason, Jaber Crow changed that. I don't know what that means. Maybe it's just Wendell Berry is a genius. But this book changed my life. Like, I love this book so hard.
0: So I'm going to go for an improvised, sexier description of Jaber Crow. Please
1: do. I'm going to hit
0: record on my phone so I can use it (laughs) to tell other people what it's about when they ask me. (laughs) Okay. It's the opposite of The Great Gatsby. This man, instead of going to the land of opportunity and new money who wants to win over a lost love and create this you know, glittery, glamorous life for himself. Instead, you have this poor orphan who goes to a tiny, small town in Kentucky, creates a very boring life where he nevertheless yearns for something he can't have Then, instead of makes him a craving criminal, makes him, oh, can I say pure without losing the sexy factor?
1: That's actually a really great word. But what it is, is it's not pure in terms of like, that he is without faults or that there's some sort of serenity to him. Well, maybe it actually is serenity. It's like he just accepts things as they are, including himself.
0: And it's really, really beautiful. And what I like about it is that it brings him a very robust kind of peace his whole life. Yeah. But man, it's bumpy to get there because otherwise it might be really boring.
1: Yeah. No, I did not find it to be boring. I have said like things that are evocative and lush and this was not so much lush in the atmosphere. The setting is painted so beautifully. You really can't envision things. You know, it's not just like, and then he went to work and then he rode a horse and then he shaved his face. Like, it's not that. Like, there are things that happen, but the undercurrent, the through line of the whole thing is just, it's almost like the lushness of his interior life. Like, he just sees the world and himself in such a way that you just can't help but like sit and be like, Say more words, Jaber, or don't say words <laughs> because he doesn't even say a lot of words. Like he's a man of few words, but I think maybe that's why his inner life is so captivating to me. I'm I'm here for this in this opposite of the great gatsby. You're a genius. That's like so on point. All right. I'll, I'll build it
0: out. We'll see if it if there's actually something there. Kendra, what did you choose for book 3?
1: So my third book is The Night Country by Melissa Albert. And this is uh, the follow-up to Hazelwood, which you had, I think it was in a summer reading guide a year ago,
0: two years ago? It was indeed.
1: This is the follow-up to that, but it's both books. I really loved both books and read both in the last handful of years. But basically, the story follows Alice, who is (laughs) part of uh, sort of like like a magical legacy. She is transitioning back into regular life if there is such a thing, after being trapped in the hinterland for years. The hinterland is this dark land of fairy tales. Alice was actually a character in them. But in this follow-up book, Alice is trying to figure out how to be a person, and she is sort of in contact with other folks who have escaped the hinterland. But really, her whole goal is to find her friend, Ellery, he is like still there, and she's trying to get back to him. And anyway, it's this like really engaging story. There are lots of surprises. It's very dark. I love a dark fairy tale. That's kind of my sweet spot. And if you put a circus in there, all bets are off. Like it's the best thing ever. So I, <laughs> I just really love uh, the imagery of this. Of like you turn the corner, you just see like gaunt people. The way Melissa Albert describes the way people look and the way that they move into a room and turning the corner and it's not horror at all. Like it's not even jump scary. It's just, there is this atmosphere of doom, (laughs) like general (laughs) low key doom. And Alice is to me, she's not the most compelling character I've ever read for sure. But like, she's interesting and I care about her. She, she is trying to connect with her mom, who was missing in the first book, who she was trying to find. And she's got this complicated relationship with her past. And does she want to really jump all into this fairy tale life and just be this character, be Alice three times? Or does she just want to be like regular Alice and live her own life? And is that even possible? And it was so satisfying. You know, it's always a little scary when you read a sequel. Ah, uh, to a book that you really loved because you could be so disappointed. But I was
0: not disappointed. I really loved it. Now it's time to tell me about a book that was not right for you.
1: Was this hard to pick? No, it was not. It was not at all. There were two that I was trying to narrow it down between, but this one I didn't finish. That's how much I disliked it. And it was surprising because I loved a book by this author that I had read a couple years before. And I must say, hated. I hated it. it. Was the Great Alone by Kristen Hannah. I hated it. And I loved The Nightingale. I laughed, I cried, I was there, I finished it so fast. Such a delightful book. And everybody was talking about The Great Alone, that it was one of the best things I'd ever read. It made them weep, it made them think, it made them do all of these things. And I got maybe 50 pages in, and I was just like viscerally angry that I had to keep reading. And then I was like, no, I'm gonna stop. It was too bleak, it felt so hopeless, I couldn't find a story. I mean, it definitely has a very clear setting, and I think the setting is a big part of the story, but there just wasn't any color to it. Everything just felt very gray and sad. The girl's relationship with her dad, and I don't really know what the book's about, Anne, because I only read 50 pages, but I hated them so much. But the relationship that she has with her dad especially just felt really dark to me. We don't have to get dark here, but like I don't have a good relationship with my dad. He's not in my life anymore. And I think that there was also some like familiarity to the dynamic of their relationship that was difficult. But I've read other books that have that that have a similar like a father-daughter relationship that is similar to mine with my dad and I was like, "Oh, this is this is actually helpful or this is this is a really beautiful read for any number of reasons." But there were just too many things about the great alone. It was putting a halt to my reading, it all my reading, because I didn't want to pick that up. I just wasn't picking anything up. And so I was like, I'm out. I can't do this. I hate, I hate this book. Why do people love this book? So I know there are good reasons why people love this book, but I really, I didn't.
0: But that doesn't mean it's right for you. Listeners, that book portrays an increasingly violent domestic abuse situation that is terrifying. So you should know that if you're thinking about this right now, Uh, because we know in every episode, somebody hears a reader describe a book that wasn't right for them and thinks, oh my gosh, I want to read that immediately. (laughs) And The Great Alone has been a favorite on the show. Carrie Sweeney loved it and chose it as a favorite in episode 153. That's called revolutionizing your reading life 10 minutes at a time. And then Michael and Smith chose it as a favorite in episode 156.
1: And Michael and it's like a buddy. And I was like, Oh, I can't wait to hear what Michael and says. And then when she said she loved that book, I was like, we need to have a conversation. One of my favorite books, like of all time is called Red Rising. And you've had someone mm-hmm. on your show who said that was the book they hated. So I recognize like, it takes all kinds. That's we, what we learn in this segment of every single episode. It's all kinds of books for all kinds of readers. And it's okay that I didn't like it. But I don't generally have strong, visceral reactions to books that I dislike. There, I can only think of three, and that was one of them. And it was the most recent one. So be
0: that as it may. Well, and it's interesting, you use the words bleak and hope it felt bleak and that there wasn't any hope. And those are two things that can be really defining for what a reader will or will not pick up. So I don't think that's a coincidence. Okay. Kendra, what are you reading now?
1: So right now I'm reading I'm reading two books and I'm a little bit stalled, just a hair. It's because the book is a difficult read, but one of the books is called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Mm-hmm. The subtitle is The Truth About the American Church's Complicity and Racism. It's a historical survey of the history of the American church and like a lot of the really horrible choices that have been made towards the black community since this country started. So, I mean, it is such an important book. It is one that is like, essential to me right now that I really want to read and learn and take my time and sort of confront things. Like you were saying in the beginning, we we all have these, well, not all, I have a newly kindled desire to become an anti-racist and to continue that education through what I'm reading and consuming. And so this is one of those books. So it's really important, but it's hard. You know, it's a hard thing to be like, Okay, I'm gonna pick up a book that talks about how the American church has mistreated black people for centuries. You know, it's it's kind of hard to get that momentum. But then uh, the other book I'm reading, I actually learned about from your show, Experimental Film by Gemma Files. I'm reading that. That's about a Canadian film professor who like she basically gets fired from her job and she starts to spiral. She has like a hard personal life. She has a son with autism. I feel like she suffers from insomnia but she basically discovers the existence of this mysterious female filmmaker who had like disappeared or something that no one really knew about. Obviously it would be like a historical discovery in terms of cinematic history. And it would be historical for this character, for Lois, if she discovers this, you know, filmmaker, this female filmmaker that nobody knew about, but it's I mean, I feel like there are ghosts about to come. Like, it's really dark. It's kind of scary. Um, I don't fully know what's happening, which again, I have made clear, doesn't bother me too much, but it also feels very, very, very bleak. There's not a lot of color in it, just like metaphorically. And so those are my only two books that I'm reading right now. And so both are a little bit harder to pick up. So I
0: feel a little bit like
1: I don't have a jump start. but those are the two books. I'm enjoying them both. They're just not like, grab it
0: really quick and let's read. So, if the right mix is important, it really is you you can you can perceive what's missing, but you're not sure where to pick it up.
1: Yes. I think spaceships or magic <laughs> or there's there's unrequited love between, you know, people of different classes. like there has to be something like that or it's just hard for me to read.
0: I don't know. all right. I'm ready. I'm so excited. Are you ready? Yes, I'm so ready. First of all, I really hope this is the change of pace you're looking for. It was in the summer reading guide, so maybe you've seen it, maybe you've read it, but you haven't mentioned it. The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune.
1: I saw that on your list, but I think that's all. I saved your summer reading guide as like a treat to myself once I got over sort of this big hump of like my own book release related tasks. Music to my ears. So you haven't read this book that I think is going to be so good for you. I have not read it, but here's what is such a bummer is I still haven't gotten to really read your guide because... I didn't realize how much work, like the work just keeps coming. And I'm like,
0: my reward is still sitting there. I want my reward. So I have, I know nothing about this book because I haven't like fully absorbed your guide yet. You know, you're lost my gain today. So thank you. Okay. The House in the Cerulean Sea. It's by TJ Klune. First of all, you want a cinematic jumpstart. The cover is absolutely gorgeous. It portrays this house teetering on the edge of a cliff against all these beautiful shades of sunset and blue. It's just, it's beautiful. And you're going to picture it in your head, the entire novel, which is going to be a great thing. It's a fantasy story. It reminds me of Harry Potter, but it's definitely not a read like or trying to be Harry Potter. It's not one of those. It's not a copycat. But it is a very whimsical fantasy that so many readers, because the guide has been out and out in the world without you, Kendra, for a while now, (laughs) have come back and said, this book took me completely by surprise. It's my favorite of the year. And I don't want you to go in with off-the-charts expectations. But you know that feeling where you pick up a book that you wouldn't necessarily have gravitated to on your own, but you read it and you love it. And it just feels like heaven's part and the trumpets blare. And it just feels, you know, it's an amazing feeling as a reader
1: definitely I don't want to
0: oversell it but
1: I'm just gonna say that's the feeling we're all chasing Anne it's like such a gift that feeling
0: and it's because like in this novel I mean you wouldn't have a novel if characters weren't going through hard things but the tone is just so the tone just makes you grin the whole time so the story is about Linus Baker I feel like when you name a character Linus you're really saying something about him right off the bat or maybe it's just because I watched too much Peanuts as a kid (laughs) he is a 40 year old caseworker He's a company man who has been on the job at the Department of Magical Youth for a very long time because he has been such a yes man for such a long time, just plodding along doing his job with his head down, you know, very thorough, very staid, very boring. So that is why he is chosen by Extremely Upper Management. And to give you a feel for the tone, Extremely Upper Management is capitalized in little silly things like that <laughs> throughout the book, which I just really enjoyed. You'd feel like TJ Klune is winking at you, and I enjoy that. So he is chosen for this special assignment. He's sent to this island orphanage that is the home of last resort for magical children who are viewed as total misfits by everybody else. You know he's going to go and meet all these characters. One has been called the Antichrist, thinks he's the Antichrist. (laughs) There's an adorable little wyvern, you know, a baby dragon that breeze fire. (laughs) It's the Island of Misfit Toys, basically. Except there are people who know that they haven't been treated as people, and it hurts, but they have banded together because of their outcast status, and they have done so under the wings of an unconventional caretaker whose name is Parnassus, which is just laden with symbolism. That's lots of fun for an old English major. So when Linus goes to the island, it forces him to question everything he thought he knew about his job, his place in it, the world itself, and it's just so much fun. He might also fall in love along the way, perhaps, and it's just delightful and quirky, and it's been such a fun surprise for lots and lots of readers. How does that sound to you? As you're talking about it, I'm
1: like, well, that ticks every box except for a love story, and then you're like, and he maybe falls in love and I'm like (laughs) yes. so it's like all the things (laughs) oh my gosh I'm so I'm so excited that just that really does actually sound like the kind of book that I need right now like today
0: I'm excited that you're excited okay so you were just talking about how tone is absolutely everything and it changes the way that you read and experience a story yes with that in mind, I want to know if you've read Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. No, but that's a fabulous title. That's like that's like thriller and magic, magic and liars. I'm very excited <laughs> about this. Sometimes readers ask, how do I decide what to read next? How do I know what I'm going to pick up? How do I find out about what books are out there? And the answer is, uh, you know, the, the same way you do. I mean, Kendra, we're having this conversation, and I'm going to leave with, um, like I've already jotted down, that it's time to reread Hannah Coulter, because it's been a long time. So hearing about new books every week, and hearing about them from you, and then these episodes spur conversations among our team members, and then I get more books added to my list. I picked up Magic for Liars after I recommended Upright Women Wanted, also by Sarah Gailey, to Raylene Bradley in a recent episode of What Should I Read Next? So Brenna listened to my description, which the, the short forward description of this Book, which took me completely by surprise, was Outlaw, Lesbian, Librarian, Spies.
1: Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so great.
0: <laughs> so here's what Brenna said, and I think you might enjoy it too, but we're gonna go with Magic for Liars, and I'll tell you why. Brenna read it immediately and reported back. She said she listened to Raylene's episode, she got it right then, and she read it straight through that same night while listening to the soundtracks of classic Western movies. A plus experience, this is a new favorite. So Brenna came back and told me that, and she said, I've read Sarah Gailey before, but just one book, I read their novel, Magic for Liars, that came out, I think, in 2019. But Brenna said, Magic for Liars is really great. I think you'd enjoy it. Check it out. So, I mean, I did. Literally, I got on my library's website, and I saw that it was available for Kindle, so I downloaded it immediately. It's very, very different from Upright Women Wanted. Not in a bad way at all. It's just very different. So maybe you can have two books for your list. But you mentioned... Those books that are, you know, very realistic, but they're just one tick left of ordinary.
1: Actually, any ticks left of ordinary is great for me. It's pretty great. But yeah, those are like my favorite because you can imagine yourself in it. There's like enough of a context that you're like, well, that could kind of happen. I love books like that. Here's what Magic
0: for Liars is. It is a noir feeling murder mystery. Set on a campus. How's that, Kendra?
1: I love books set on campuses. Like truly, campuses and circuses. And then like a planet are my favorites. So you're already on
0: you're already on a roll. Okay. I don't have a circus for you here. I'm sorry to say. That's okay. But <laughs> the tone is like old black and white movie or like um, Sunburn or what I saw and how I lied. So this book is about a private investigator he was kind of hard on her luck. She lives in an expensive part of the country. I think she's in the Bay Area. She's working from the basement and she does boring stuff. Like she's the one camping out to take the photo incriminating the cheating spouse or settling insurance claims. Just boring, boring, boring. And she's making do mostly. She has a little bit of a drinking problem, but then she's offered a case that she can't say no to maybe she should say no to, but she doesn't. She finds out that the school where her twin sister works has had this gruesome, nearly impossible murder. And Kendra, I think it happened in the library. You know, I've read a lot of books where terrible things happen in libraries. (laughs) That could be a whole separate episode. This is definitely one of them. And she's called in to solve the crime. So the reason that Shibo does and doesn't want to go is because she hasn't seen her twin sister in 10 years. And the thing that put a rift between them was the fact that at a certain point in the past, it became clear that Tabitha was magic and Ivy, the private investigator, was not. And I mean, Ivy's jealous and her sister got to go live this life where she studies theoretical magic. And Gailey doesn't really get into how the magic works she's not a magician. She doesn't really understand. And it turns out a lot of the magicians don't either. But when she goes into the school, and the reason the murder is so gruesome, like the poor woman is split in half is because it was done by a magical spell. So you have this noir detective (laughs) procedural, but it's set at a school of magic. And the magic is really subtle. And Gailey says, right up front at the beginning of the book, through the voices of their characters. You know, at first, when they first arrive on campus, they make all these jokes about pumpkin juice. And there's some other like very deliberate Harry Potter reference. But it's not like that. It's just an ordinary school, except that it's really, really not. Tabitha studies theoretical magic. And there's a conversation about what that is right at the beginning of the book that really frames things for Ivy. This character says, it's like sticking your hand into a black box that may or may not have cobras in it (laughs) and the investigator ivy is like oh my gosh that is the best description of magic i've ever heard Mm. and there's a little bit of a backstory to tabitha discovering she's magic what happened was she didn't like some kid and early on like fifth grade and so she was turning her markers into noodles or something (laughs) like that and the teacher noticed and the teacher was magic. And so the teacher recognized what was happening, but there's a little bit of discussion about how many kids are magic, but they have no idea. Or it's really scary for a long time because there's nobody magic in their life to point it out to them. Mm. So Ivy has gone her whole life, not feeling special. And then she's plunged into her sister's special world, which it turns out it's just a school. It's really pretty ordinary in a lot of ways. But then on the other hand, there's students walking around who have been raised to believe there's the chosen one because there was a prophecy about, them generations ago, and they know you know they're they're just the chosen one. Oh, that's capitalized too, just like Department of Magical Youth. Nice. So it's a crime novel, yeah. And it's set in a school of magic, also. But what is really fun about this story for an English major is that Gailey is playing with like a family saga, but also magic teens and the noir novel. If you've read any books in those genres, you know that they have certain conventions. It's so fun to read as a reader, because not only do you get to read the story in front of you, but you get to see how she's subtly twisting and turning the genres in really fun ways. And of course, it's called Magic for Liars. So, you know, these sisters have a complex relationship, and it's not all going to be straightforward and simple to figure out how this woman got split in half in the library. (laughs) Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. How does that sound to you?
1: That sounds so intriguing to me. It reminds me a little bit. Well, it's kind of like what I was saying before about how you could start with a setup, but you can take it in so many directions based on tone, based on one particular character. You can, you know, there's so many things that you can do. It reminds me a little of Ninth House by Lee Bardugo.
0: Have I read that one? It just came. That book is on my shelf.
1: But it happens on a university. There's some magic. It skews a little bit more like witchcraft, like figuring out spells and stuff as opposed to like maybe you have this like inner thing in your marrow where you yourself are magic. Like you learn magic more. Yeah, there's like stuff that is happening on this campus and there's actually a group the ninth house the people in the ninth house are sort of like magic police for these other underground groups of students on this university that are doing different kinds of magic and i loved that book even just the setup feeling like a hair a hair the same like kind of in the same universe feels very very exciting and one is magic and one is not and then you have a murder investigation it's like so many boxes Anne.
0: It sounds fantastic. I think it nestles in well with the books that have really worked for you. Yeah. And I really hope that one does. It sounds like it will. And I still get another one. I'm so excited. You get another one. You said that you like dark fairy tales. We're not actually going that direction. But I just want to point out that more books that I've talked about all the time fit that descriptor really well, like Girl, Serpent, and Thorn by Militia Bashardoust, which was also in the summer reading guide. You'll see it. And also, I don't know how you feel about the Dutch house, but that is a grown-up fairy tale.
1: I have, I think, three and pageant novels on my shelf, and I have not read any of them, which just feels wrong.
0: Well, funny you should say that, because I'm looking at a list of books on your shelf that you sent me, books on your shelf that you haven't read, and you wondered if we could maybe pluck one of these. Yeah. So there's some great books on here. That I think you are really going to enjoy because of right now, where you are today, you're looking for those books that are a little more exuberant. And we did that with the House in the Cerulean Sea. I think Magic for Liars is fun, but it's not joyful. But oh, I noticed that you had less by Andrew Sean Greer on there. Yeah. And I think that could maybe be the right book for your reading mix right now. Oh,
1: fun. Tell me more. Cause I don't remember why it's there. <laughs> why
0: it's <on> my show? <laughs> well, it won the Pulitzer, which was really huge news because it's a funny novel and comedy doesn't win prizes, which is sad but true, and something that a lot of readers have pushed against. Like well, not just readers, writers also. Like, can't funny be good? It's too easy to think that books that are sad and serious are necessarily well done and important. And Les is a really funny novel. I
1: agree with you. I wish that more books that had humor and lightness alongside whatever else got more accolades. So that's really cool that
0: Les is funny and also like won the Pulitzer. That's so great but there's something you should know. So I described it as funny. And that's because I remember the ending, which was wonderful. And also made me want to go back and read the book again from the beginning, because at the end, something is revealed that had been there all the time. I just didn't know it. And I don't think you're going to know it either. And so when you find out what it is, you realize you can go back and you'll read it in a different way the second time.
1: Endings, Anne, I learned this from you as well, are so important to me and I had no idea. If a book ends poorly, like you recommended in my last uh, in the last episode before the fall, I loved every page until the last 4 pages and then I legit threw the book at the wall. I was so angry at the ending of that book. It ruined the whole Like I was so upset, which some people like an ending that surprises them or is like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And it doesn't do anything to the reading experience. That there's something about me that's like, if a book has an ending that's unsatisfying, which nobody but me knows that, you know, like everybody is satisfied by different kinds of endings. But it is nice to hear you say that like the ending made you want to read it again. That's a good ending if you're
0: like, oh, I got to go back. I thought this ending was great, and I really hope you agree. So I said that less is funny, and it is, but it's not just funny. Actually, parts of it are really quite sad. And Andrew Shongrier has said that originally he'd envisioned the book being something very different because he was in a sad place when he wrote it, and he wanted to write about serious things either before or during the writing process. He decided, you know, I'm going to take the way I was looking at the story, and I'm just going to tweak it. A little bit, and make it a little more extreme. So the book is about a man whose name is Arthur Less. And if you think that perhaps you were in for nonstop puns on the name Less, you are absolutely right. <laughs> Arthur Less. Is a gay writer. He's approaching 50. He doesn't want to be 50. The love of his life is about to get married to another man. Mm. His publisher has rejected his latest manuscript and not just like said, improve it a little. I mean, just like scathing rejection. Everything is going wrong. He is miserable and he decides, you know, he could just sit at home and mope or he could make it look to his ex, like he's having the time of his life. So he accepts every invitation that came in. Some of those are professional, like he's gonna interview somebody who's done better than he has professionally. Um, He's gonna go to France and Italy and Morocco and Berlin. He just goes all over the world doing all these things that he should have said no to, except he just wants to be like, well, look at me going on with my sexy exotic life without you, except he's miserable the whole time. And of course, because of the way Greer chose to write this, Anything that could possibly go wrong not only goes wrong, but goes like big and dramatically wrong. Like a stray dog eats his suit. I mean, just really, really bad. I could just see, I don't even know this guy yet. And I could just see him standing there in the street watching this dog, like, oh, I love it. I love it. It's so bad. It's good. Andrew Shangrier said that, I mean, he's also a gay writer. So he said, I, He knew what he was writing about and the way he chose to portray the incidents, you know, not just a subtle publisher's rejection, but set your manuscript on fire in front of you, which doesn't actually happen, but it's awfully close. Poor Arthur Less, because it's so terrible that it starts to become funny. But what's fun in this story is you know the whole time that the voice of the novel is really interesting. And you're not sure who's telling it because it's not Arthur Less. And it didn't occur to me for a long time to even wonder who's telling this book. But I knew that I really liked the way it was being told and the voice of it because like we said, like the tone changes the way you experience the story, which is why I think it might be good for you right now Mm. because the tone is what makes it fun. Um, And at the end of the book, you find out who's telling the story. And it changes things. I can't wait. I cannot wait to read this. I don't know why I got it in the first place, but I'm so glad I did. So we talked about The House on the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, and Less by Andrew Sean Greer, which is conveniently on your shelves right now. It is. So that is definitely what I'll read
1: next, but I'm going to immediately like figure out how quickly I can do curbside pick up at my library if the other two are there and I, I mean I just can't wait I feel I f- I feel the energy I'm a very like visceral body person and I feel so much energy streaming through my bones right now because I and I haven't felt this way about reading in, in a couple of months like I I just sort of lose that energy and you gave it back to me Anne I'm so thankful Kendra this has been a joy thank oh, you so much you're such a genius thank you for being my Yoda
0: Thanks for talking books with me. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Kendra, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 245, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today, plus our episode transcript. I'm so excited that Kendra's first book is going out into the world. Learn more at thelazygeniuscollective.com dot or find her book, The Lazy Genius Way, wherever you get your books. Readers, tell me all about what you've been reading on Twitter. You can find me there at Anne Bogle. That's Anne with an E B ism books O G E L. You can also tag us on Instagram at Anne Bogle or at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in my favorite podcasting app, Overcast. While you're there, be sure to click the little star to say we're one of your favorite shows. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, this is a perfect time to join our Patreon community. You'll get access to our full catalog of bonus episodes. You'll get closer to the creative process of how we make the show. And of course, you'll get to join us live on September 1st for our fall book preview. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekicek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.